0: Would you turn again to Luke chapter 18, please, if you've got a Bible with you, and if you haven't, there are quite a few on the shelves at the back. Luke's Gospel chapter 18. Page numbers as usual are on the back of the yellow weekly sheet. Here in Luke chapter 18, Jesus, the greatest teacher ever, tells us about becoming a Christian, about being a Christian, about God's work in us, and more. There's much more to this. Jesus here has such helpful and surprising things to say to us, that instead of trying to persuade you, it's worth listening to, let's just crack on with it and get into these verses, Luke 18, verses 18 to 30. Now, having said that, we're not going to work through verse by verse. We're going to start with a question. Here's a question for you. Can you persuade someone into becoming a Christian? Can you persuade someone into being a Christian? People are trying to persuade you at the moment to vote for them through leaflets and image and arguments and adverts. There's all sorts of persuasion going on at the moment in the UK. Will you vote for this person? Is Christianity similar? It's about persuading people. Can we persuade someone into being a Christian? Well, we ought to be able to. We ought to, because Christianity is reasonable and it has good evidence. I'll give you my three standard questions for sceptics. My three standard questions for sceptics are, why is the world here, what is the Bible, and why is Jesus remembered? If there is no God who made it, why is the world here? The the Bible, it's such an amazing book, so well written over hundreds of years by different people, fits all together. If it's not from God, how did it ever come to be? Jesus died looking a failure on a cross. Remember 2,000 years later, how come unless he's the Son of God who rose again? So Christianity is not a leap in the dark, it is reasonable, it has evidence we ought to be able to persuade people. And, not just because it's true, but also because it's good, it's good news. Have a look at verse 18. Verse 18 of Luke 18, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It was a bit of flattery. Because good teacher is not a title ever used in Jewish literature. He was flattering Jesus. How did Jesus respond to the flattery? Verse 19. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And some people say, here is Jesus showing he doesn't think he's God. He says, why call me good? Only God is good. But hang on a minute. Wasn't Jesus good? Didn't he ever claim to be good? Didn't he call himself the good shepherd? Far from saying he isn't God, Jesus is provoking this man to think again about who he is. He is the good teacher, yes, but more than a bit of flattery. He is God. God who is so good, he became man for us. Who is so good, such a good shepherd, he'll lay down his life for his sheep. And Christianity is all about him, the one who is good. He's so powerful, he's God, he's so loving, he died for his people and we can belong to him and be under his care. It's really good. And so we should work at persuading people. In the book of Acts, we read that the Christians went around persuading people. We've got good news and it's true news. So have you been persuaded? Is there anyone here who's not yet persuaded? Here is good news, that is true news. You ought to be persuaded. And yet, and yet Jesus says we face a problem. Can you persuade someone into being a Christian? Jesus here says we face a big problem. So... Luke tells us about this ruler who we discover is a rich man and he comes to Jesus and he has a good question. Verse 18 again. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's saying, how can I get into heaven? How do I get life from God forever? And Jesus gives him an answer, but he doesn't like it. And he walks off from Jesus. And okay, Luke doesn't tell us for definite... That He rejects what Jesus said, but it certainly looks like he's rejected it. He doesn't like the answer. And because of that, Jesus gives this comment on him. Verse 24. Let's jump to verse 24. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is. For the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, enter the kingdom of God is what we would call becoming a Christian. Belonging to Jesus. Getting in his kingdom, coming under his caring rule. And Jesus says, it's really hard. It's really hard to become a Christian. It's really hard to get into his kingdom. In fact, he says, it is this hard. Can we have our picture, please? There it is, a camel. It's pretty big, isn't it? And I have a needle. I got it out this morning, and it's quite a surprise to be reminded how small a needle is. Can you see the eye of that needle, the hole the thread comes through? I doubt you can, because I can only just see it from here. Here we have a camel, we have a needle. Oh, by the way, some people say... When Jesus said the eye of the needle, he meant a gate in the wall of Jerusalem, that the camels had to get down on their knees and stoop to get through. There is zero evidence there ever was such a gate. That is in contradiction to what then is said in the passage. It's just people who think, "Ah, he can't be meaning that. So they've made up this other thing with no evidence. He really did mean a camel, and he really did mean a needle. How are we going to get on getting that camel through this needle? I would start with the tail. Don't you reckon that's our best chance? Start with the tail. I reckon we could probably get one of those tail hairs through the eye of this needle and then if we get that tail hair through and we pull and we pull, is the rest going to follow? Jesus is obviously being humorous, but to make a point. it's just He's sort of just about the most impossible thing that he could think of. And he's saying... It's easier to do that than to get a rich man into the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying it is impossible. It's impossible to get a rich man into the kingdom of God. And the people get that he's saying that if you look on to verse 26. Verse 26. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? They get what he's saying because they asked, who then can be saved? And notice they broaden it out from the rich man. They don't say, well, how then can rich people be saved? They say, who then? They recognise Jesus is making a statement that's broader and notice Jesus doesn't say to them, no, 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 you've misunderstood. It's too hard for millionaires to get into the kingdom of God, but people who live in ordinary three-bedroom houses on forest side of Loughborough, they've got a chance. And really poor people, yes, it's easy for them. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say you've got it wrong, you've broadened it out too much. He says, verse 27, what is impossible with men is possible with God. He says, you're right, it's impossible. You've got the picture I was showing. It's impossible with men. There is something about becoming a Christian that takes more than persuasion. There's something about becoming a Christian that is impossible for us. It is a difficult thing to become a Christian. How mad people are who say, I'll deal with that later. When death is a bit nearer, I'll sort that out. Do you not know? It is, it's not an easy thing to sort out while you die. It is an impossible thing. Too difficult for humans to manage it. So there was my first question. Can you persuade someone into being a Christian? Here's a second question. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? Why does Jesus give this bizarre illustration to say it is too hard? The Bible repeatedly tells us the way to become a Christian, how we enter into the kingdom of God, how we get eternal life, all these things being talked about in Luke 18, is by faith. That sounds simple. It is simple. By faith, by trusting Jesus. It says it so many times, just to give you the most obvious example. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Something so simple, trusting in Jesus. Now, some people make that believing sound like simply understanding and assenting to what the Bible says. Do you understand it? And do you agree with it in your mind? So, you're persuaded there is a God. You're persuaded that Jesus is God become man. You're persuaded he died for sinners and rose again, that it's historically true. You're persuaded believing in him is the way to heaven. You're persuaded heaven's a good place and it's nice to get there. You're persuaded the Bible's a generally reliable book. Okay, good. Say this prayer and you've become a Christian. That's, that's what it sounds like for many people. But if faith was just like that, why would Jesus say it's impossible for men? That doesn't sound very impossible. If faith is just about understanding and agreeing to the gospel, why would it be harder for rich people? Have you thought of that? If it's just understanding and agreeing to the Bible, yes, I believe those things, uh, I've said this prayer, why ever would it be harder for rich people? Who's the richest man in the world? Do you know who the richest man in the world is? Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, among other things he's done. He's estimated to have $150 billion. Can you imagine $150 billion? $150 billion. If he gave you a million, think how many he'd have left. And it gives you an idea of just how much $150 billion is. Now, I reckon he must be pretty clever, don't you think? I reckon he must be pretty good at weighing evidence and coming to good decisions. So, if becoming a Christian is just that, weighing the evidence and coming to a good decision... Surely Jeff Bezos is one of the most likely people to become a Christian because he's obviously good at weighing evidence and coming to decisions. Isn't he one of the most likely people? Jesus says no. Jesus says you are more likely to get that camel through that eye of a needle than for Jeff Bezos to become a Christian. Do you realise that? You're more likely to get a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for Jeff Bezos. To become a Christian. That's what Jesus says. And that tells us faith isn't just understanding and agreeing with the message of Jesus. Faith is actually relying on Jesus. Hang on you say, are you complicating things? No I'm not. Faith is really simple. It is simply relying on Jesus. But even the simplicity itself gives us a problem. Us humans have a problem with the simplicity of simply relying on Jesus. It's a problem to us. Why is it a problem to us? Well, here's one reason. Because relying on Jesus involves stopping relying on ourselves. That's why it's a problem to us. Relying on Jesus involves stopping relying on ourselves. You can see that's a problem here in Luke 18. How does this man think he's going to get eternal life? Let's look another time at verse 18. Verse 18 again. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How does he think he's going to get eternal life? By doing something. What must I do? He's asked about doing, so Jesus tells him about doing. Doing God's law. Verse 20. Verse 20. You know the commandments, Jesus said. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. He's asked about doing. Jesus tells him about doing. What's his response? Verse 21. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. He's confident that he's done what is needed. He's confident he's a pretty good person and God will be pleased with him. And that's why Jesus says to him, verse 22. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Jesus is not saying you earn heaven by giving money. He is showing up to this man his love of money. He's showing up to this man his selfishness. He's showing up to this man he's not as good as he thinks he is. You see, we cling on to insisting, I'm pretty good really. I'm basically a good person. And while we're clinging on to that, we will not be clinging on to Jesus. You've got to let go of that if you're going to cling to Jesus. Faith in Jesus does not come naturally to us. Because clinging on to I'm basically good comes naturally to us. Why is simply relying on Jesus a problem to us humans? Because Relying on Jesus involves stopping relying on ourselves. And that is particularly hard for a rich person. Now, don't just think Jeff Bezos. Don't just think the ultra-rich. In fact, it doesn't have to be rich in money. It could be rich in abilities, or in popularity, or in achievements, or in a good family. If we're rich in anything really it becomes that much harder to stop relying on ourselves. And that's another reason why Jesus says, verse 22, sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus says to him, are you really going to trust me? Or are you going to tag along with me while still trusting your money? Are you really going to put your trust completely in me or is it going to be tag along with me but your, your security is still your wealth? How about you? Are you tagging along with Jesus and you've got the label Christian and you've got Christianity as an interest? Maybe an interest you take really seriously, but your security is still what? What is your security? Your money? Your abilities? What you've got planned and saved for the future, your achievements, your friendships. What is your security? What in your life, if Jesus said, give up that and follow me, would you start to get very worried? You'd feel too insecure. Your source of safety and welfare had gone. But you see, trusting Jesus is trusting him for your safety and for your welfare. It's not taking along with him, well really, it's these other things that you, you look to. We tell what we're trusting, not so much by the hymns we sing and what we say at church. We tell what we're trusting by what we must have and what we're not willing to lose and what we put effort into getting. I reckon that real faith in Jesus is a lot rarer than the number of people who say they're believing Jesus. Why is simply trusting Jesus, it's so simple, trusting Jesus, but why is it such a problem to us humans? Another reason is, relying on Jesus involves turning to him. Look at the end of verse 22. Jesus says, sell all you have and then come Follow me. Trusting Jesus, real faith will turn from something to turn to him. Faith says pursuing Jesus is better than pursuing anything else. Pursuing Jesus is better than pursuing money. But the sinful heart doesn't think Jesus is worth pursuing. Because, well, we love sin and Jesus is the opposite to sin. And so we have a problem. I'll illustrate it like this. Imagine, I'm on my way to McDonald's with my children. And I say to them on the way, look, I've got a good offer for you. Instead of going to McDonald's, we'll go to John's house. It is the only Michelin-starred restaurant in Leicestershire. By the way, I don't offer this to my children. It would be very expensive. But imagine, we're going to McDonald's, I say, I've got a good offer for you. We can go to John's house instead of McDonald's. We'll get a lovely meal there. Is that a good offer? Yes, it is a good offer. Will they take it up? No, because their hearts are twisted and they love McDonald's junk. It's true. I could almost guarantee they wouldn't take it up, which saves me a lot of money. Because they love junk instead of uh, Michelin-starred restaurants. God makes us the best offer, the best possible offer. His son and life in him, and life with him. But our desires are all twisted up, and we prefer other things. Faith is simple. It's simply relying on Jesus. But the human heart has a problem with it. That's why it's easier for a camel to get through a needle's eye than for any of us to enter the kingdom of God. So what can solve that? Here's the third question. Third question this morning, who then can be saved? That's the question in verse 26. Verse 26, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? What's the answer? Verse 27. Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. God can change our hearts. Yes, people can be saved because God can change hearts. We need more than persuasion. We need heart surgery, but God can do heart surgery. We need those deeply rooted attitudes and desires that are in us changed, and God can do that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So when we tell people the gospel, that addresses their mind, their understanding, and that needs to happen. But people won't change without a decision by their will. And the human will is controlled by the human heart. By the heart, that doesn't mean this thing that pumps blood round. It means our, our deepest desires and attitudes. And the sinful heart keeps dragging the will the wrong way. It keeps dragging the will in the wrong direction until the Holy Spirit changes your heart. So yes, we must tell the Gospel. We must address people's minds. But they won't choose what's right. They won't put their faith in Jesus until the Holy Spirit changes their heart, which is continually dragging their will in the wrong direction. Could Jeff Bezos enter the kingdom of God? Could the poorest famine-stricken person receive eternal life? Yes. Yes. Because God can do the impossible. He can change their hearts, their deepest desires and attitudes. And God does. He's done it for many here, thank God. And he did it for those first disciples. Verse 28. Let's move on to verse 28. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. It sounds a bit boastful, but Jesus seems to agree. They had left all and followed Jesus. God had changed their hearts. And when God changes your heart, you simply rely on Jesus. And when you simply rely on Jesus, you'd leave anything to follow him. And when you leave anything to follow him, you find it's worth it. Verse 29. Verse 29. I tell you the truth. Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Now, have a look at verse 29 again. Jesus gives a list of things that people might leave to follow him. And what do they all have in common? Home, wife, brothers, and so on. It's interesting, they're all family related. It's interesting, he's just talked to a rich man, but he doesn't talk about leaving riches, he moves on slightly. They're family related. The home that the family's in, and the family that's in the home. When you follow Jesus, you are not alone. Whatever and whoever, you might have to leave. People in Muslim countries often have to leave their families. Sometimes people who are boyfriend and girlfriend together and one's not a Christian have to leave. One gets converted and has to leave the other. But you're not alone. When you follow the good shepherd, you're not the only sheep. You're in a flock. You're in a family. His family. It's the best family. Because it's his family. I remember in my early 20s doing some evangelism in a town centre and this old bloke who was rather grumpy said to me, what do you know, you're too young, you don't know how tough life is, nobody cares for anyone. I said, hang on a minute, both of my parents have died already so I have experienced something of life's difficulties. And both when my parents were ill and after they had died People there in my church were there for my family, put themselves out, gave such a lot of time, consistently, not just for a few weeks. To give him credit, the man apologised. But my point is, I had a family that Jesus had provided, his family. That's what the church should be like. That's how it should be when we follow Jesus. We gain a new family doesn't always work out like that, but holy, well, that's a, that's a prompt to us. That's how it should be. Well, the story ends where it began. What does it end with? Have a look at the last words. Last words of verse 30. It ends where it began with eternal life. Do you remember in verse 18, which we've read four times so far, it began with a question about eternal life. And it ends where it began in another sense. It began with a man saying good teacher and it ends with the good teacher because eternal life is all about going to be with the good teacher. Those who leave all to follow Jesus get to follow Jesus and that's the best thing to get because it's Jesus and he's the good teacher. Those who follow Jesus get to follow him all the way to his home in heaven. some people this Christmas it won't make any difference really what you get them they're still missing their husband or wife or child or parent who's died things don't compare with people and people no people compare with Jesus, there's no one so loving, there's no one so powerful, there's no one so wise there's no one so caring there's no one who's given so much for you And those who follow him are going to be with him. So, having heard all of that, what should you do about this? What should you do about this? Well, it's simple really. Cry out to God to change your heart. Will you do that? Call out to God to cut a Think of your heart as something and it's tangled in all sorts of creepers and vines and, that entangle it and they drag it down away from God. Call out to God to cut away all that entangles your heart. Pray to God to show you yourself and to show you Jesus. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you a taste of the Lord who is good. And those are just the sort of prayers that God loves to answer and he does respond to. Prayers that recognise, this is impossible for me, I can't do it. God, I need you to do it. Will you call out to God to do that? And there's also something for us as Hollywell Church to do. And it's very similar. Call out to God to change people's hearts. We as a church can get people in, and we're thankful they can't. We might get people to agree the Bible is true. We might get people interested. But we won't get people leaving all to follow Jesus unless God changes their hearts. So we've got to be prioritising, praying for him to do that. Now, that doesn't mean don't try to persuade people. We've already heard they did in the book of Acts. Uh, We've already read Jesus trying to persuade this man. But notice even Jesus' answer couldn't have effect unless the Holy Spirit worked. Even Jesus' words didn't have effect unless and until the Holy Spirit works. And so we've got to try to persuade, but pray for God to work in hearts. James Fraser, I've been recommending his book, Missionary to the Lisu people in China, he put it like this. He said he put a lot of effort into trying to persuade these people of the truth. And it was right he did so. But he said this. Unless the Holy Spirit worked, that effort was like rowing a boat, but the boat's in harbour with the tide out. Have you ever seen a boat in a harbour with the tide out and it's sitting there on the mud? Now imagine rowing that boat. Imagine putting all your effort into rowing that boat. How far are you going to go? You need the tide to come in and to row. The tide doesn't come in and then you don't row. No, the tide comes in and row. And for James Fraser, the tide came in, the Holy Spirit worked, and he persuaded people, and people turned. And so we must row the boat. We must work at persuading people. But we must also pray. Pray for the tide to come in. Pray for the Holy Spirit to work in people's hearts. So let's do that now. Let's pray.